Hello everyone and welcome to episode 62 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined as usual by Dan Club and Chloe Bloxham. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So today we're going to be discussing Liverpool's victory over Benfica in the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal. We'll be talking about Luis Diaz, Naby Keita, Kanate, Trent and Mo Salah. So we got a lot to get through. And then obviously as well, we've got to spend plenty of time talking about the enormous game at the weekend. One of the biggest games of the whole Jürgen Klopp era against Manchester City. And we'll be joined by a guest to do that. But before we get into any of that, we've got to start with uh, Chloe this week. Because, Chloe, you were, I think I'm right in saying, at the stadium last night to watch the game. So I guess, just what was it like? What was the experience like um, of being in that ground? That you know, certainly on the television, the atmosphere looked immense. Um, I was watching it in a pub, and uh, they had the volume turned right up. And when the players started whistling, the fans started whistling. Sorry, you could, you could, you could see everyone grimacing in the pub because it was that loud, like the the ferocity of it. So yeah, what was it like? And also, did you have any sort of um, difficulties around the game because I, I saw some talk on Twitter about some fans being unhappy with with what went down. Um, luckily, I was I was sound. I am um, my brother lives in Portugal. His girlfriend, the they're all Benfica fans, uh, massive. So they invited me to the game. So I was in the home end. Um, so I couldn't celebrate properly. Uh, I had to stay quite quiet because the ultras were down below. Um, but. For me, it was sound getting in, seeing the stadium. Wow, um, I wasn't expecting that. It was an unbelievable stadium. Um, it reminded me a bit of a bit like Arsenal, to be honest. It was such a, like I wouldn't mind playing my football there um, if obviously uh, we weren't at the the Anfield, which um, we all love and is is literally my home. But um, yeah, I saw. In, in fact, I was in the group chat. I was the opposite end of the Liverpool fans, and I looked up, and I just thought to myself, that that section's empty. What is going on? Um, and I messaged them with five minutes to go, and they were just saying that they were having a horrible time outside. Uh, they were quite scared. A lot of people, um, and you know, I was just like, oh, you know, I hope you're all right. Um, I know someone who messaged me. And they didn't get in until the second half had just gone. Um, and so I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but there was a lot of people in our group chat who were pretty terrified at times. They said it was an absolute joke. Um, and, you know, it was very uncalled for. They just, <laughs> at one stage, just got stopped from entering um, the grounds and there was just a massive queue. So um, I wasn't that tired, so I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I know that. I looked up and our section was absolutely empty. Um, they said they all got pushed into one section as well, which is probably why it looked empty uh, when they got in, because the lower the lower part had loads of seats but was cut off. <laughs> you couldn't sit there. And at the back, there was loads of seats, but absolutely no one there either. It was just like a middle section of fans. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what happened, but... Um, when I saw it, I thought something was wrong, uh, and that was five minutes before kickoff. And um, when people started getting back in touch in the group chat, they did say 
it was pretty horrific what was going on. Um, but as for the game, it was, you know, quite enjoyable. The atmosphere was fairly decent. The whistling actually, surprisingly, was a bit mad uh, for me. The, the only time they whistled was when Liverpool fans sang <laughs> and it was to drown out the Liverpool fans. Um, but yeah, they've got a song before kickoff, which, you know, pretty much is the equivalent to You'll Never Walk Alone, I guess. Um, and it's just the, the Benfica song. Um, and then the flags, obviously, which is pretty cool. Um, they're not authentic in the sense of Liverpool's, but, you know, it was a great atmosphere. Um, and my favourite part of it was when um, I remember going to Porter away and they do it. And it's where one, one end of the, the stadium sings to the other end and the other end sing back to it. Um, and that, that was pretty pretty great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, overall, a really good night, a really good atmosphere. Um, and, you know, I didn't get battered for, for, you know, speaking when Liverpool scored. So that's all, all boss. One of them tapped me on the back when they scored. And I was like, oh, here we go. Um, but he, he, he sat right back in his seat when Diaz went and got the third. <laughs> Yeah, there's bound to be it's bound to be a bit of that, but um, yeah, it's a shame. Obviously, that the occasion and enjoying that sort of ground and atmosphere was maybe tarnished for a few of the the travelling fans. But um, yeah, it certainly looks it certainly looks like a very impressive stadium. Like I say, the atmosphere, especially in that period where uh, Benfica pulled it back to two one, sounded immense through the television. So um, obviously, we're all envious that. You got to sort of experience it, although <laughs> being in the home end might have been a bit intense. Um, Dan, I'll come to you now, though, um, for the sort of standard three-word match review. But I also wanted to ask about, let's talk about that part of the performance, actually. So I think it's about 10 minutes into the second half. Um, Canate makes the mistake. Nunez uh, scores for Benfica. And how did you think Liverpool responded to conceding? Um, because it was really a sustained spell of sort of anxiety and pressure, it felt like. Um, and, yeah, how did you rate the performance overall, I suppose? Yeah, so my three-word match review um, is chalk and cheese, um, which kind of sums up how I rated the performance overall, to be honest, because I we gave up, you know, one or two sort of half opportunities in the first half, but in the main, we were very much in the ascendancy for the first 45 minutes. And, it felt like we could create good chances at will. Um, and you could argue we could have been maybe, you know, two or three up at half time. Obviously, we weren't, but it definitely could have been the case. Um, so to go from that really look like accomplished, you know, relatively well polished performance in the first half to we never really got at the blocks in the second half, in my opinion. And I think, you know, we're all very quick to like criticise Liverpool for that. And I think there is an element of that being correct. But I also think Benfica completely changed their style of play because they were very passive in the first half and let us dominate. Whereas second half, they were at us. And I think it was kind of sort of underpinned by that moment. I think Rafa Silva hounds Allison, and Allison does something I never want to see him do again, quite frankly, in a football pitch. Um, but that was kind of summed up their intensity because they really were at us in the second half. But overall, um, we obviously sort of mentioned the reaction to the goal and I think we reacted well to the goal. I think it took the goal to kind of wake us up again, which isn't great. Um, I think substitutions were played a big part in that. Uh, Henderson coming, coming on offered us balance again. But 
yeah, in terms of actual overall performance, very contrasting. I think first 45, I'd give us sort of a 7 or 8 out of 10. For that first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, you're looking at like a 4 or 5. We just couldn't keep the ball, you know. Players who'd played really well, like Cater and Thiago, suddenly couldn't pass and couldn't control it. Um, but then we finished strong again. So it was a weird one. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I mean, the result's outstanding, obviously. Yeah, 100%. And really, it felt like within that spell that you talked about, it was almost like you needed about five passes, Benfica, and then they were in a really dangerous situation in the final third. Like, it felt like the whole sort of defensive structure just became very loose um, all of a sudden. So it was concerning, but I think sort of as you got further and further away from, I think it was key to sort of, given how much the crowd was up to sort of five, ten minutes after that goal, it was key to just sort of get through that and then things naturally became easier. And then obviously we get, like you say, the really all-important goal late on. But, Chloe, I'll come to you now for your review, but on the scoreline, and I've seen one or two tweets about this, is there any slight elements of disappointment for you, especially on the back of that first half where I personally thought we could be on for the four or five nearly, to be honest? Is there any disappointment at all that the tie isn't 100% over going to Anfield, which means that we won't get potentially a valuable opportunity to rest some big players? Um, I think yes and no. I mean, my first, my review is um, weathered the storm. And I say that because I thought, in general, I thought we put a show on at times. I thought some of the football we were playing was absolutely insane. And then... It's a it's a Champions League quarter final. You're never gonna get it easy. The opposition are always gonna have some form of chance. Um, but I remember the the person next to me, um, hitting me on the back when they scored and said, "That's fair, that's fair." And I thought to myself, I think he's watching a different football game to me, because um, I looked up and it was their first shot on target and they'd scored with. Um, it came from an error. I thought the first five minutes of the game in the second half. We were actually the better side. We had a chance. I can't remember who has a chance, but we don't go 3-0 up once again. Salah at the end of the first half. Trent does an incredible ball. We don't score it. Diaz had a one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Tried to dink him. Didn't score it. Um, So, yeah, maybe disappointed at the fact that we weren't more ruthless than we could have been. But it is a Champions League quarterfinal. The opposition are always going to have chances. There's, that's the reason they're there. You're in their home stadium. If they get some form... I mean, the atmosphere was dead after the second goal. Um, it just it went flat. Um, everyone, the Benfica fans were fuming. And I think they were fuming with the fact that they, they couldn't keep hold of the ball. And then in the second half, it kind of reversed. And Liverpool couldn't keep hold of the ball. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm stuck in the sense of... It's a good advantage, so I'll take it. It should have been more, but it'll do. Um, and I hope that in the first half of, of the you know the game at home, we can blow them away, get a couple more, and then make rotations. Because I also kind of don't want it to be a done and dusted game in the sense of let's put out not the greatest team and um, you know not it, it, like it just be a kind of a dead atmosphere, a dead game, because that's not what you want. You want it to mean something, you want it to feel like something. Um I think if that if it, if we would have scored one more, because Jotter had a one on one in the last two minutes of the game, um, 
if he would have scored that, I think the atmosphere uh, next Wednesday would have been maybe, you know, five times worse than, than what it's going to be. But because it's 3-1, they can still get back into it. It should be a good atmosphere. It should be a good game. Um, and that's what you want. You don't want their games. You don't want games that kind of don't mean nothing. You want them to have something about them. Um, but saying that, obviously, um, you also want to rest the players. So uh, I'm I'm in the middle. I can see, I, I, I can understand um, why. And I want to rest players, of course. But I still think if we play like we did in that first half and we get a couple of unbelievable goals... We can make subs at any point, um, and I'd I'd argue that you you sort of also want players still in form. You don't want a lot of players to miss an entire um, game of football and then go again. If we're in a good rhythm, you know, limit the the numbers, limit, make sure they don't get injuries and that they're staying fit and healthy, um, but give them a run out. Yeah, there's these competing things, isn't it? It's like. On the one hand, you want players to sort of stay as sharp as possible, still in that sort of competitive mindset, I think. And we've seen, I think, maybe when Liverpool players have actually had the break and you think we're really going to benefit from it, that we actually do sort of suffer a bit. So I think you're certainly onto something there. It's just obviously the case of, you know, you look at the fixtures. We've got City twice, United, Everton all coming up. You know, you think that the second leg is potentially an opportunity to um, give some players some rest. And now, like you say, it might just be... 45 minutes of rest as opposed to a full 90, but that might not work out too bad. And I think we're all obviously uh, very confident. I mean, with a 3-1 lead, taking it back to our home stadium, maybe if it was 3-1 at Anfield going there, it's a little bit more iffy, but I think um, I'm very confident with that. But Dan, I wanted to bring you back in and just on the performance more generally, like, Mm -hmm. Liverpool are obviously on a pretty mad winning run at the moment. There's a stat here from from Squawker. Um, we've won eight consecutive away games for the first time in our history. And obviously, um, we're doing, aside from that Inter Milan game where the loss didn't really matter, we're on a, a extended streak at home as well. But when do you think the last time was that we produced a sort of complete 90-minute performance? And obviously, this isn't me really complaining because... It maybe it's at the stage where it's just about being that winning machine that we've seen Liverpool be in the past. But mm-hmm. how long do you think it's been? Because it seems like it's been quite a few weeks now of sort of not being brilliant, but doing more than enough to get over the line in games. Yeah, 100%. Um, we're, we're in danger territory of sort of being spoilt, aren't we here? Um, but I do completely agree with you at the same time, because you mentioned sort of the... the the winning run and the unbeaten run and the records were breaking at the minute and all that sort of stuff. And then we come on and everyone comes on Twitter and so forth and criticises the performance. But I think we're right to do so in many ways because, you know, sterner tests are coming and we're going to have to play better. For me, the first one that sprung to mind was Leeds. Um, Obviously, I think the 6-0 game um, was the last one. It might just stand out in my mind because it was 6-0 and it was obviously so comprehensive, but I don't really recall having any concerns during that game whatsoever from a defensive standpoint. There may be one or two half chances, but it feels like at the minute, in almost every game, we are, you know, affording the opposition quite a few chances. Now, don't get me wrong, very occasionally, you know, they happen to not be offside. I think the Burnley game is obviously the glaring example of that. They they had six chances in inverted commas, but I think five of them were offside, so it doesn't really matter. 
But even look at Watford on the weekend, you know, we were a little bit disjointed at times, didn't really click into gear at any point, I don't think. And they did have chances in that game. And I think the same last night, you know, we were good for, what would you say, 70 minutes of that performance last night. I know the 20-minute real lull in the middle. So, yeah, there's definitely an element of us, you know, having sort of peaks and troughs in football matches at the moment, which isn't ideal. And I think for a while we've been sort of playing well in a half and then not well in a half. Like I don't think we were very good against Arsenal away in the first half at all. And then we were a different side second half. So, yeah, it's strange. Um, it's not perfect. But, you know, it does need rectifying as well because if you're starting on Sunday with City, you know, the challenges from this point on just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So we can't afford to, you know, pick and choose when we click into gear. We have to be at it for 90 minutes from here on out. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe this idea of a complete 90-minute performance, maybe it is expecting a lot in terms of there are going to be spells in the game. You look at the standard opposition, you know, Klopp was saying yesterday, like, Benfica have reached the last day of the Champions League. They've beat Ajax, who have been really good this season on the whole. You know, they can't be underestimated that they are going to have a spell in the game. Um, but yeah, you are you are right. Sort of generally, there have been maybe more lapses and more more luck riding at times um, in some of the games recently. And I think Leeds is probably a fair shout. Obviously, we know they were in a complete mess defensively at that stage, and that might have been the last game or second to last game before uh, Bielsa got sacked. And then, you know, the Brighton game I thought was pretty solid from us, except for at the end, but the game was pretty much under wraps by then. Um, and there was a, the Leicester game at home at Anfield where I thought we were brilliant as well, but you're going back to sort of 10th of February for that. But um, mm. we'll move on anyway to sort of individual performances. And my three-word review will be Diaz, the game changer. Um, and I'll come back to that in a second, kind of what I mean by that. But I want to start with his display sort of last night in particular. Chloe, I'll bring you back in. He's been named like man of the match by UEFA officially, obviously scores one, makes another. But what was your favourite sort of aspect of his performance last night? Probably his, his best so far um, since he joined. I think just how he's, he's relentless. He just keeps going. Um, you know, I see him press more than I actually see him with the ball at his feet. And I love that. Um, he's so dangerous. Um, he was obviously playing left wing, so he was right in front of me in the first half, and he had that right back on absolute pins. Um, he wouldn't get near them. He he just left them at one stage. Um, he just he he didn't even track him. He made his midfielder come and mark him. Um, I just I, I love how no matter the no matter who he's up against, whenever he gets the ball, the excitement level just goes to a different. Um, it, it just goes up a notch. I was so excited. He takes so many people on. Um, his awareness to to nod the ball down for Mane as well. His unselfishness. The way he's just he looked so happy to get an assist. Like you literally would have thought he'd scored if you actually only seeing um, the zoom in of him after you know the first goal goes in. Um, and and yeah, just the fact that he keeps on going no matter what. He loses the ball, he's there chasing it all the way back. Someone else loses the ball, he's there to cover. Um, he's always running behind. He's always offering a different dimension. Um, and his his skill, we well we know about that. It's absolutely outrageous. Um, and the pace, <laughs> because uh, that that ball 
Um, I was at the other end of the ground for his goal, and it looked like could have been a 50-50 with the keeper. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I just passed the keeper and the balls in the net two seconds later. So, um, he, you know, the goalkeeper really didn't have a chance. No one else had a chance. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's boss to see him get that goal because, uh, especially this past week, I've seen a lot of a lot of talk about Kolovzatsky, and uh, mm. I mean he's doing really good at, at Tottenham. But like Tottenham fans saying he's had a bigger impact than Diaz, he's better than Diaz, and uh, I just think to myself, Diaz hasn't got the amount of assists that obviously Kolovzatsky has, but. His performance has deserved them, um, and he's not really had that break at times. Um, but we all know, as Liverpool fans, he's been absolutely immense. Uh, and you know, against Benfica, who he absolutely hates, uh, he goes and gets an assist and a goal, and um, is one of our most outstanding players. So, uh, yeah, an, an absolute joy to watch, um, and he just he's so exciting. Um, he reminds me of Manny when Manny first joined and I thought to myself oh my word like who have we got here like this is unbelievable um, and you know I think Diaz has gave us that kind of the the hope of we've found another absolute gem um, and it's just about keeping him fit keeping him healthy um, and just letting him be free with his football because he's literally unbelievable. I think the Mane comparison is quite an interesting one and that goal that you mentioned, yeah, when when it went in, I was a bit confused because I was like, is it offside or something? And Diaz hasn't realised because Mane just barely reacted whatsoever. Sometimes he does that when he scores and Diaz was absolutely buzzing and I think rightfully so, to be honest, because it was a really clever piece of play. Obviously, the, the pass from, from Trent is kind of the start of the show in that goal, but Really nice cushioned header back across goal um, to make it a tap in for, for Mane when he could have, if he was kind of, if he didn't have that vision or that selflessness, he might have gone for goal himself in that scenario. So, really good assist and obviously gets the goal late on as well. But the reason I went with that review, Dan, is because I'm starting to feel like even though, you know, he hasn't scored 10 goals or got 10 assists or anything like that yet. Um, it almost feels like a, a turning point in the season, this DR signing, just in terms of the strength of Liverpool's squad now. Obviously, it's lifted the mood as well. Um, not that the mood was, was bad before he came, but the level of sort of confidence, I think, is, is so high when you have him um, at your disposal. So do you think we could almost look back and think of that Diaz signing, if we do go on to obviously achieve what we want to achieve this season as a sort of pivotal moment? Yeah, I think so, 100%. Um, I think he he's, he added something else in terms of his attacking prowess, obviously, and he's obviously added that X factor. And if we're being honest, we were all quite satisfied with our attacking options, you know, prior to his arrival. But it's one of them things, isn't it? Like, you don't know what you've got until it arrives almost. And what he has done more than anything, and, you know, you're right, both of you are right, he hasn't really, you know, got the goal contributions that his, you know, fleeting performances have deserved. But he does make things happen, and he's definitely a threat, and defenders are certainly wary of him. And I think the goal contributions are just going to come. Um, I think that's only natural. That's, like, his next step in his development as a Liverpool player. And the numbers will follow, in my opinion. But more than anything, what he's done is 
every time you look at a bench now, it's just so strong. And it's amazing how the signing of one player has, has transformed that. Because occasionally you look back at our benches, even this season, and go, well, I'm not sure about how we're going to change a game here. And all of a sudden, you know, there's either one of, you know, a Mane even, or a Diaz, or a Jota, or a Firmino in recent weeks has been on the bench. And instantly Jurgen Klopp has got, you know, a next-to-world-class option to turn to, or a world-class one. Um, and I think we've seen, like, an uptick in Jurgen Klopp's substitutions since Diaz has arrived. And I don't think that's sort of an accident. I think the fact that he now has him, as well as all the other options, has just released the shackles almost on Klopp in making changes, because that's the one criticism we've all made of him in the past. But now he has that one extra option it's just transformed what he can do in terms of changing games. And we mentioned earlier the fact that we haven't been great for 90 minutes a lot recently, but it hasn't mattered because a lot of the time we've made changes in-game to transform it. I remember the Norwich game, we went to like a four-up front almost. And Diaz was part of that and obviously scored in that game. So he's just given us that extra bit of impetus. And you're right about what you say in terms of probably give a bit of feel-good factor, added some confidence back, all the rest of it, especially with... Um, Salah and Mane playing so much football in Africa all the time. Diaz has given them to a little bit more leeway in terms of their rest. So I actually, if we do go on to do what we want to do this season, I will 100% look back at this Louis Diaz signing as a pivotal moment, even if he ends the season with seven goals and assists combined or something along them lines, because he's just transformed the whole mood in, around the place, in my opinion. Yeah, and you're right, it is, it's only one player, but it does feel like it's made a huge difference in terms of squad depth and the options Klopp has available to him. We've got a few more players we want to talk about before we move on to City. The first of those is Naby Keita, who assisted um, the late goal for, for Diaz with a brilliant piece of play. Chloe, Keita said this week that we haven't seen the real Naby Keita yet. He's had quite a few injuries, trying to get back to full form and fitness, but says, recently I felt 100%. It's my aim to try and establish myself and be seen in the world of football, either this season or the next. Are we witnessing that sort of process now? Because it really does feel like, to me, that the optimism levels and the place that Cater's in is kind of the, almost the best it's been, certainly since that, that first season at the very least. I mean, I hope so, because when we bought him, we all thought we had, you know, one of the greatest midfielders, that, you know, up-and-coming midfielders, that is. Um I thought I was getting a player who he was known for getting red cards and it was something that our team didn't have and I kind of liked it. I liked that he could be a bit, you know, um, not aggressive, but um, he wasn't scared to put one on one at times and I don't mind that uh, as long as obviously not injuring the opponent in, in a dangerous way. But um, when he came, I think... He, he got injured instantly. I remember there was a situation at the beginning of the first season he came where he was on a flight to the pre-season tour, I think it was. And just think of how luxury that plane is and that that they fly on. Um, and he claimed that he got injured with his neck and then was out for a little bit with a neck injury from a plane flight. And I thought to myself, lads, that's, you're taking the piss a bit now. Um, but I... I I like Keita. He always seems very good on the ball. Um, he's something that, that's a, di- a bit different to our midfield. Um, he, he can take a couple of plays on, really good at dribbling, but you've just not seen the best of him. But last night he was immense. That third goal is all about Naby Keita. 
Um, the the interception from him, he gets us up the pitch. And then obviously the the pass takes the deflection, but it's still it's all his hard work. Um, and I thought he was brilliant. Uh, the first half you could add one or two um, goals to be honest. Him and Salah linked up fairly well. Um, and yeah, he, he was just he was constantly um, the the continuous effort from him throughout the game was boss. He was brilliant. Um, and at times he he was maybe a bit sloppy here and there, but. Uh, with a football club that takes many risks in a football game that's bound to happen um, but yeah I, I absolutely thought he was brilliant and hopefully he can go on a run of form hopefully he you know will um, take the opportunities that come to him with both hands because um, I think now he probably doesn't even think of the price tag he came for because it's been that long I, I don't even remember um, and you know if he plays like that week in week out then I'll be sound. I think he can only get better. Um, players around him also might help him. Um, the atmosphere around the club also might help him a bit. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. Hopefully, we are going to see the new Naby Keita because um, when we signed them, I thought you we were getting an absolutely outstanding world class player, and we saw glimpses of it, but we've not saw it much, like enough. Um, and coming into his year of his contract. He kind of needs to have a really incredible season. Otherwise, I don't know where we stand with him. I think, you know, you mentioned how impressive he, he was last night. For me, it's probably one of the best sort of midfield displays anyone's put in this season. Like, I'll just run through some of the numbers quickly. 92% pass accuracy, 10 duels won, seven touches in the opposition box, five tackles, four shots, three take-ons, two chances created, both of them were big chances. Two through balls, one interception and one assist. Like just a really complete performance on, on both sides of the football. Um, really one of the best he's he's produced in Liverpool shares. Someone who had more of a mixed night though, Dan, was um Ibrahima Kanate. Obviously mm-hmm. scores his I think I'm right in saying that was his first Liverpool goal yeah. um from the corner in the first half and then makes the mistake for the second and looks devastated in the aftermath of it. Um, you know, sort of head hits the floor. And stuff is is it simply a case though of he's twenty two years old? It's one of them where you don't want to say he needs to make those mistakes, but he's he's bound to almost make them mistakes at this stage of his career, and it's just a case of of learning from it and almost growing from it in a way. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying he alluded to as much as that on Twitter um, after the game. I actually haven't seen the post, but um, I've seen something else allude to it this morning, funny enough. And I think he said, yeah, you need to learn from these mistakes. And I thought all round on the night, he actually had a decent performance. And obviously it was a, a disappointing moment watching on because I've been hugely impressed with Canate since he came in. I think for somebody who's just arrived at the club and he seems to have been called upon in some of the biggest games of the season up until now, like obviously Old Trafford, Manchester United away, and then different Champions League games as well at different stages. And then last night, so... You know, we're not sort of easing him in. We're easing him in in the sense of he's not playing consecutively very often. But in terms of sort of the occasions he is playing on, I mean, that's Champions League quarterfinal first leg away from home. And he's thrown in, having not been seen for a couple of weeks. So, you know, the faith is there. And he has rewarded, repaid that faith, I should say, with his performances. Um, See, I've got no qualms about his, his overall, you know, ability whatsoever. He made a mess of that situation. It's, It's not pretty, but... 
I, you know, I have ever since it happened, I've been more than happy to sort of overlook it because I thought overall he was very good. I think his pace and his power came to the fore a lot. Just before we scored, he had a foot race with Darwin Nunes, um, who I was impressed with, by the way, apart from the fact he fell over all the time. Um, and Canate absolutely just just cruised past him and then shrugged him off like he wasn't there. So all the qualities we've seen and love about Canate were there to see. He just had a little bit of a brain fade for that moment. So nothing too concerning for me. Yeah, and just to pull up that tweet that, that you mentioned, he said, Good to get the win before the second leg. It is with mistakes we learn. That's it. So yeah, yeah that's that's the attitude that he's adopted. And, and like you say, Dan, performance-wise, I mean, there was moments in the first half where, like I say, you know, where I was watching it, everyone was just sort of laughing to themselves when he was winning these races. And, and not only that, throwing almost throwing his attacker um to the floor at times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a bit ridiculous. So yeah, just the case for Kanate of of moving on from that mistake, but making sure it doesn't happen again if he does play in um, a, a, another big game this season. Chloe, um, let's talk about Trent now. Um, we can't overlook him at all, even though it's almost automatic uh, for him at the moment, the, these world-class passes. He obviously um, effectively gets the assist for the uh, the Diaz-Mane goal. Um, it's all It all comes from his pass, and then he probably should have got an assist as well. Uh, for Mo Salah, who we'll talk about in a minute. But we've talked for Trent about about Trent for so long as the best right back in the world. You know, having these debates about others who who might be in the same bracket. But do you think at this stage and the level we're seeing this season, we've got to move on from best right back in the world and start to think about best passes in the world, which we've seen a lot on Twitter. And also, like at what stage do we start saying he's sort of in the top brackets? without position, he's just one of the best players in the world at the moment? Well, I mean, first things first, on the right-back situation, there is no-one near him. He is the best. I don't care. Show me Cancelo's stats compared to Trent Alexander-Arnold's going forward. Um, They'll be absolutely next to none for Trent here. Um, He is the best right-back in the world. Um, when we talk about passes, I think about Kevin De Bruyne obviously comes first to mind. But I can tell you now, I've watched Steven Gerrard pass a ball and I'm mesmerised by Steven Gerrard's passing. But watching Trent Alexander-Arnold do these diag balls, it's absolutely outrageous. Um, the first the first one to, to Diaz, who gets the assist uh, for Mane, that, that was incredible. But for me, the second one to Salah looked even... like. He, he let it through his legs and his first touch is pretty much an assist which Salah should score. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and I think when you put him in the bracket of one of the world's best, not just to be look at his technique, but I think you've got to look at who affects the football team the most. And Trent is that person. If I don't see Trent on that, that starting lineup, I worry, even though we've got such an attacking side, I think to myself, okay, we might struggle here to find a way through. And it's not that we don't have unbelievable players and ways to knock teams down and break them down. It's more of the fact that we rely on Trent so much. He is such a significant part. His influence on this football club and this football team is unbelievable. He's one of the most influential players, if not the most influential on that pitch. Um and it seems like everything pretty much comes comes through him. Um, so I, I think he is one of the world's best. I mean, that that game yesterday, 
was his first game back from an injury. If he puts that in on his first game back, like he didn't even need to warm up. Um, from the off, he he was there. He was passing these incredible balls. His vision is insane. Um, and you'd think maybe with a couple of weeks out, not actually in football situations on a football pitch, you know, str- struggling with an injury, trying to come back, he might not be a hundred percent on it, but he was. Um, and I think you are talking about one of the world's best, to be honest. It's just based off how much influence he has on a football team, never mind his ability, um, because he's absolutely sensational. And, uh, he, yeah, he's he's just he's incredible. I'm so glad that uh, we're the ones who, who he plays for. I, I'm so glad he's a scouser who is, is Liverpool through and through um, because it means so much more to him. And uh, yeah, I think I think he is one of the world's best. I just feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Everyone focuses on a defensive side and over exaggerates saying that he's not great when he actually is really decent at defending. Um, and they also don't think about his position. I mean, if you would have seen how high he was in 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 uh, the game yesterday, it was ridiculous. It was like we didn't even have a right back. Um, it was like, okay, if they get him behind, we're going to trust our, our centre-halves here. We're going to trust Canate. We're going to trust that maybe there's another midfielder there running back and, and going to be able to help. Um, because Trent was pretty much basically a right-winger or an inverted right-winger. Um, he was that high up the pitch. and um, Yeah, one of the world's best by far. People just don't want to join in the conversation. Probably because he plays for Liverpool. Probably because he's a scouser. And also because... Uh, it, it seems like every other English player gets hyped up to the max and yet you look at Trent and people try and downplay how good he is and I guess when you're at that level, when you're 23 and you're that good, people are always going to try and find something negative to say about you because um, you, you're too good that they can't even comprehend that you're that world-beating at, at the age that he is. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, With sort of social media nowadays, there's an effort almost, I think, even with the likes of Messi and Ronaldo, there's an effort to sort of find any sort of slight weakness you can and, and play it up as much as possible. And when you look at it, a lot of the time, the weaknesses just don't exist. Like, you know, we've spoken a lot about the defender thing before, but on, on the attacking side, people accuse him of sort of just, people say, oh, well, any right back who attempted as many crosses as he does in a game would have the same amount of assists, which is just <laughs> com- complete and utter like yeah. nonsense. Um, you've got to look at the, the technique, I think, um, and that just shows you the the ability that he has. And I'm glad, Chloe, that you agree that we almost need to to move the narrative on with Trent. But he could have had, like I say, another assist um, yesterday um, with the pass to Salah, which Salah doesn't convert. And Salah potentially, on the whole, struggled um, in the game. Again, like against Watford, came off reasonably early potentially with uh, one eye on the weekend but we asked in episode 58 um so about a month ago now whether Salah was in the first real dip of his Liverpool career um well not of his Liverpool career but of, of this season and it seems like now four weeks on that that's still ongoing so Dan I'll, I'll come back to you um and I want to talk about Sunday and lineups in a second so just to focus on on his form first of all. Yeah. Do you think um, it's, do you think it's a major worry? And I also just wanted to ask before um, you answer on that. 
Klopp said something, I don't know the exact quote, but Klopp said something in his press conference or he hinted that the contractual situation might be playing a part. And I've always thought that this is fatigue related, this this dip. But mm. do you think there might be something in that? Um, perhaps. I'd like to think not. Um, he's like the consummate professional, isn't he? So you'd like to think that sort of off-field matters aren't playing on his mind, but, you know, maybe they are. There's certainly something that I, I thought, you know, I don't really like to criticise players full stop, but especially Mo Salah, but if we're going to be honest, last night was a pretty poor performance. Like, there was, it was full of endeavour and full of movement, and I had some conversations yesterday, or last night rather, that people said, oh no, he was always sort of, you know, showing, and he was always sort of in the right place, and he was, I get that, but it's all well and good being in the right place if the ball rolls under your foot, sort of on two occasions when he did have half opportunities. Um, so there's definitely something not right. Um, but I still just put it down to a, a dip in form, personally. Um, I don't think it's particularly fatigue-related. I think there'll be elements of that. But I think if it was seriously fatigue-related, I don't think Klopp or the club would be playing him. Um, because as much as we all sort of joke that it's salary has to play, he'll be demanding to play, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, it's sort of out of his hands, um, and it's potentially even out of Klopp's hands if he gets told by sort of the fitness experts and the scientists that he's not good, he's not ready to play, then that's it. Um, so, yeah, I just put it down to a dip in form, generally speaking. I don't think he scored an open play since February, I might say, which is a hell of a long time for someone of his ability. Um, but, yeah, it's almost one of them. <clears throat> it doesn't worry me because you're waiting for someone as good as him to click back into gear like you're waiting for the whole side to click back into gear really um and i think if salad does that you know anytime soon just as we approach this really pivotal time of the season then we're golden um because he's got the sort of ability and the firepower and the genius in him to win us any game of football and he hasn't been recently and at some point he's going to start so i look at the positive size of this dipping form even though it's definitely a thing and just say you know, it's not going to last that long and it's probably lasted longer than we all thought already. So, you know, hopefully on Sunday it's going to happen for him and it'll be a joy to watch. Yeah, it has lasted. It has lasted longer. I think, you know, you said February, it's eight games as well um, without an open play goal. In terms of the tiredness thing, I think you you make a valid point. What I would say is I don't know if it's like, Fatigue, the kind of fatigue where he's on the threshold of an injury, which is where, you know, that sort of intervention might happen. I think it could be sort of be mental fatigue and just cumulative fatigue of not only playing so much football this season, but, you know, just over the, the past few years, really. I think there potentially might be something in that. I mean, when it is Salah and he's been so consistent in his outputs, I do think, you know, there does have to be some sort of extenuating circumstance like that, um, personally. But I think the key thing is um, that we're still winning games. You know, we talked about the winning run earlier. To still be putting that run together when Salad isn't, you know, fit. Well, he's not firing to the maximum extent. You know, it's almost, I think you alluded to it there, Dan, it's almost scary to think of the levels we could reach in the next couple of months if Salad does um, hit form again. And hopefully it's, it is a matter of, of when rather than if. Chloe, I'll bring you in now. Um, I'm assuming you're still... 100% um, behind Salah starting at the weekend. I think it would be incredibly bold not to, even if he probably is in the, in the worst form of the whole attack and set up. But 
I want to know who, who you'd play alongside them. And also, um, if you think Keita has done enough to um, be in contention to start in midfield. Oof, I mean, Jesus. I've been, I've been on and on over this because I don't know why, but I feel like Jurgen Klopp loves to go back to his famous front three every time we play. Um, every time we play City, it's just something about Firmino being able to hold up a ball um, that maybe sometimes Jota can do, but can't do maybe as well. And if you put Mane up top, um, sometimes he's not the best at holding up the ball, where Firmino pretty much is. That That is what he's done in this, this squad for the entire time. Um, I'd obviously start Salah. I think there's... There's no one who, who can play that right wing better than him. And it might need a game like this for him to actually, you know, shape up a bit because he's he's being... Last night, he was woeful. I'm going to be dead honest. <laughs> there was so many balls into him and he kept going out for goal kicks because his touch was awful or he'd misjudged it or it had went under his foot. Um, and it, it obviously wasn't the greatest performance by him. And to be honest, the only the, the most harsh person on Salah will be himself. He missed a he missed a um, a warm up drill. He missed a shot in the warm up drill, and he was fuming on himself. Um, so I can't imagine what he'll be like after that performance. But hopefully, you'll see a reaction because it's a bigger game. Um, it's it's obviously Man City. We all know how important it is. We all know that they're arguably along with us the greatest teams in the world, never mind Europe. So, um, I think Salah has to start. I'm, I'm, I'm so stuck because we have so many options and I feel like dropping Jota when he's in such good goal-scoring form would be absolutely outrageous. But I could understand the argument for Firmino um, against this City side. But I'm going to go Jota because his scoring form, if he's that clinical... And you will need to be clinical against Manchester City um, because we all know the, the the attack and threat that they have. Um, I will go Jota and for me, other... I want to say Diaz, but he's not going to put Diaz on, I don't think. Um, but, but I'm going to go with Diaz anyway. I think Mane can feel extremely hard done by because I think Mane could start up top as well because um, he's in... You know, everyone's talking about this, this Salah contract situation, but... Manny's banging form again now, um, and no one seems to be talking about his contracts. Um, but as as for Keita, I personally wouldn't start him. I think he's done enough, but I'd want I'd want my captain on the pitch. I'd want Thiago on the pitch, and I'd want Fabinho on the pitch. Um, and I hope. Uh, I mean, Keita off the bench would be a really good uh, sub to make. But I just feel like this is a game you need a your captain. Um, obviously Fabinho is just uh, you know no one compares to him, so he's he's an automatic start. Hopefully he doesn't have concussion or anything. He's sound. Um, and Thiago, silky footballer, um, played brilliant in the last couple of weeks. He got he he got lost at times, which is why he was subbed it against Benfica. But the first half he was actually really good. Um. But yeah, that that'd be my. I, I wouldn't start Cater in, in this game. Um, just just in case, not the occasion gets to him, but um, in case he doesn't start off on the right foot, you really you can't afford that against Manchester City. Um, but just to jump in on on you talking about uh, Salah's 
um, form. I read a stat the other day after the international break, and it's shown Firmino's uh, minutes. And Firmino had played over just over a thousand minutes. Salah had played more for than Firmino just for Egypt alone. More minutes uh, for Egypt alone than Firmino has in the entire season across all competitions, across national duties and everything. So, um, you know, I, I think that might be why. Um, so yeah, uh, but you know, hopefully the the Reds will win, but um, Salah's got to start. Yeah, Chloe, I think the the minutes thing is is like I said a huge factor personally. Um, I know Dan thinks that it's just you know, a dip in form and, you know, maybe a fatigue-associated dip in form. I think we said at the start of the season that the level he set wasn't necessarily going to be sustainable. Um, in the You know, he was scoring sort of one every probably 115 minutes or something like that. So um, it was kind of inevitable, but obviously the, the drop-off that we've seen maybe wasn't what we expected. Um, and, yeah, in terms of the midfield, I think you are... Certainly right that Klopp will go with Fabinho Henderson and Thiago as the three that looks pretty much nailed on, and I'd probably be behind that. Case is slightly complicated matters, but um, I think the key thing within this is Case has played 89 minutes on Tuesday, on, on Tuesday night. I know it's the game not till Sunday, but yeah, to me, that suggests it's hard to see him playing um, City off the back of that, perhaps. But Dan, um, what are you saying? What's your attack and trio? And were you sort of on that same line with the midfield? Yeah, for me, it's quite simple, actually. It's um, a return to old faithful um, from Klopp because I just think he's going to go with those he trusts and those who've been there and done it time and time again for him. Um, and, not, and not necessarily always for him because Thiago's involved and he hasn't done it that often in Liverpool shirt yet. But, you know, he's... He's a high-calibre footballer who's been there and done it on the biggest stages. So, for me, it'd be the back five we all expect with Joel Master coming back in for Canate. Um, it would be Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago in midfield. Um, and it would be Salah, Firmino and Mane. Um, with your likes of Jota, Diaz, Navigata, feeling hard done by. But for this, you know, this class of game and this the importance of this game is so high. We're going to talk about it in a minute that I can see Klopp and I personally would go to those who you can trust most on this stage. And that's not saying you can't trust the others, but that 11 I've just named is the one, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, just to say, like, obviously the back five is the kind of thing that really that looks set within the side. And then the midfield probably looks set before last night when there was the cater makes it a bit more difficult, like I say. But yeah, probably is likely to stick with that trio. Obviously, you've gone with your attack and selection as well. I would personally, Salah and Firmino, Jota's a better goal scorer than Firmino, but one thing I think is going to be important in this game is getting out mm-hmm. um, when City have us pinned back as they inevitably will do for stages. And I think Firmino is a lot better operating with his back to goal and when he has to drop into sort of the middle third of the pitch. Um, so while I think this version of Firmino does have quite a lot of limitations, I'd, I'd start him. And I'd go with Diaz on the left wing because I think I prefer the. I mean, I think the threat of Diaz on the left is, is bigger than the threat of, of Jota on the left. Um, Mane could certainly start there as well, but I just think having that X factor within this mm-hmm. game, someone because the team's been so similar for so long, and City have 
used to facing, you know, facing Mane. I think maybe having Diaz um, could be good. And obviously, it's one of them where if things aren't going right, I'd be wanting to make changes fairly early, sort of with about 30 minutes to go. Um, so the other players could have an impact. But that would be, that's kind of the lineup I'm thinking of. But let's get a, a City perspective on it. And we're joined to do so by Howard Hawking from the 9320 podcast. Thanks very much for coming on, Howard. I want to talk, first of all, not about this specific game, but about the title race more generally. And this 14-point figure keeps coming up. And I imagine as City fans, maybe you're a little bit (laughs) frustrated by that because, you know, there's games in hand, which are obviously a factor, so it wasn't that big a margin. But... Did you ever think, as a lot of people did, and one or two of us did as well, that the title race was done and dusted? Uh, well, thanks for having me on as well. Uh, n- no, no, to be honest. Uh, I can't remember what your games in hand were, but there were two. That I, ex- I think Leeds was one at home, was it? No, I expected you to win them, basically. So in my head, it was always eight points or seven points or whatever it was at the time. I just assumed that would be the gap. And... Not for one moment did I think the title race was over, no. I think, though, we got close. I think if we'd beaten Spurs at home instead of losing, uh, I think I would have believed then that it was probably pretty much done. I think if that winning run we went on had extended just a couple more games, even me, a pessimist who does not believe a title's won until it's mathematically impossible for anyone to catch us, I think I would have believed then that it was a, a done deal because you just couldn't see... Liverpool winning every game and City dropping a number of points as well. Just both happening would just be too much. But as soon as City lost to Spurs, it was quite clear that it was not over, especially as we had to play each other as well, uh, which is obviously always on the horizon. And we had United to play. and Yeah, it's only United, but it's a derby. And we've got some difficult games still to come. So I was close to getting to that position, but no, honestly, hand on heart, not for one moment did I think it was done until, I mean, we'd have to be a double-digit lead with no games in hand for me to have believed that the title race was over. It almost reminds me of that nineteen twenty season with Liverpool where I think a lot of us, you know, we were sort of a 12 points clear or something like that, and a lot of, a lot of fans were still sort of, obviously there's a factor with us of, you know, we've let lead slip before, but there were a lot of us saying, no, it's still not done. Um, even as the league got bigger and bigger. So I kind of understand where you come from there. And obviously that was the message that Pep kept um, repeating was that it isn't done. And he's been very complimentary about Liverpool and and the threat that they pose. But do you think that there's a specific reason that City have allowed the gap to to shrink? I mean, there's a couple of performances for me, sort of Southampton away and Palace away, where I think City actually played really well in those games mm. but have ended up you know dropping points and just not being able to capitalize on their dominance so do you think there's a specific reason or is it almost just a case of this natural thing where given the strength of the premier league it's just a, a more difficult run of form that you've encountered whilst at the same time liverpool have been hoovering up the points yeah it's it's just natural really i don't i can't remember what the winning one was was it like 12 get league games on the row but City were not just swatting everyone aside 5-0. There were some close calls in those games. I mean, I wouldn't say the systems worked, i.e. the system not playing with a striker. You know, it was very effective for a while. It sort of stretched away at the top of the table. But I wouldn't say we've absolutely been at our peak as a team at any point during the season. Any 
probably say the same thing about Liverpool. You know, don't not quite the imperious nature of perhaps seasons past just yet. And there was yeah, there were tight calls like the game at Arsenal, of course, the last minute winner. Where yeah, it's not often when we win. I say we're lucky to do so, but yeah, we did ride our luck in that game. The Wolves game at home was a, a penalty and. Wolves played like Atletico Madrid that day and didn't want to play football at all. And I think it was just natural that at some point those performances would catch up with you, that you can't just win continuously. And it's against teams that we've historically struggled against. So we'd already failed to beat Southampton at home this season. We, Spurs is well known that we just lose to them constantly. They only need to have one shot on target to beat us normally, and that's enough. So it's hard to quantify because there's been some brilliant performances, but obviously some performances not quite up there as well, and up and down. I think it's just natural progression, really, that at some point City are going to start dropping points because they weren't just blowing everyone away by four goals every time. And the bottom line is, I think City have only dropped seven points in the league since October. So, <laughs> I mean, they're not doing that badly, really, are they? And the whole reason that the title race was never over because we know Liverpool can win 10, 12 on the bounce and we know City can. And the bar's been raised so much that you've got to get at least 10 points ahead between you start relaxing because you know, in in the old days, you'd say, well, Liverpool can't win the last nine games on the road. It's just ridiculous. And I'm still not sure you will with the schedule. But, of course, history tells us it could happen. And we've been in a title race where no where City and Liverpool didn't blink from, I think, the beginning of February onwards. So I don't think City have... Nothing's really changed. As I say, they've still won most of the games. The only difference is Liverpool are now having their run, the one that City had earlier in the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the room for that has been just drastically reduced. And I think the interesting yeah. thing is, you know, you talk about performances that maybe win as good and you win. And then the strange thing is, like I said, some of the games where you do drop points, you do actually play very well. You want to play a lot better than games like, I remember Everson away, it took you ages to get going in that match. Um, terrible, yeah. Yeah, and then you got a pretty ugly goal with the help of one of the worst centre-backs in the Premier League and Michael Keane <laughs> um, to, uh, you know, to, to nick it at the end. Um, but then there's, like I say, other games where you've been a lot more dominant on that win, so it's a bit cu- curious in that way. But I wanted to talk about your perspective on on kind of Liverpool now, and you might have heard us talking there about about Diaz, who will obviously be, be pushing to start. But are there particular players when you come into this game? And obviously, there's there's loads of stars, but is there, is there maybe one in particular who you're really worried about? I mean, Salah might be the obvious answer, but at the same time, um, as you as you've probably seen, his form has kind of you know slackened off a bit recently. I didn't know that because I refuse to watch you at the moment because I expect you to win every game. <laughs> and I, I would have watched you in the Champions League, but of course, uh, both teams playing at the same time. So uh, Salah is, yeah, marginal, but the the answer, the honest answer is no, there isn't. And I think that was, makes, for both teams, I think what makes Sunday's game even more fascinating uh, is that it's not obvious who's going to make the difference on the day. I mean, I just heard you talk about, yeah, maybe Jota and uh, Diaz not starting. And it's like, wow, uh, Jota was an obvious pick for me for, you know, because he's scoring the goals and he's a threat and someone you easily underestimate, perhaps. Uh, not anymore, but 
it could be Mane, couldn't it? It could be Salah who makes a difference. It could be Firmino. I, I don't think there is one player that worries me. It could be the fullbacks, of course, your fullbacks that make the difference if we don't keep them pinned back during the game. Absolutely impossible for me to actually pick out a single player. But I think it's just instinct to, to gravitate towards Salah a bit, uh, especially considering the goal he scored in the, yeah, the, the Anfield match earlier in the season. Yeah, and I think as Liverpool fans, like we almost hope that after this difficult run that he's had, then that mean kind of a big moment is coming in a big game. But I wanted to bring um, you two back in, Dan and Chloe. Dan, I'll come to you first. The mm-hmm. flip side of the question I've just asked is, which City player are you most worried about? My personal answer, even though I don't think he's maybe the best player that says he have, that's the brain. But my personal answer would be Phil Foden because the last few games against City, he's just seemed to to tear us apart a little bit. Yeah, he has done, yeah. And obviously, like Howard, I didn't watch City um, in full last night because we were obviously playing at the same time. But i seen he was heavily involved again. Um, and he's an outstanding talent. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And he, yeah, he has developed a knack of hurting us, hasn't he? Um, he was brilliant in the Anfield game and, I know you want to come on to it a little bit later, but I thought City, for large parts of that game, were the better side, actually. Uh, we missed Trent Alexander-Arnold. There's no getting away from that. But, you know, moreover, City were the better team. So, And Alisson kept us in that game for large parts as well. But in terms of looking ahead, yeah, Howard's right again in terms of that the, the, that was quality on show. It's hard to pinpoint, you know, any goal scorer or anyone in particular who's going to make the difference um, building up to the match. But... Yeah, I think I think I would probably plump with Foden, like you have. Um, I dread Raheem Sterling being the man to make the difference. That's probably my <laughs> my nightmare scenario for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, in terms of quality, I think Kevin De Bruyne is you know world class. Him and Mo Salah are the two you'd gravitate towards, aren't they? In terms of being the standout elite players in two very fine groups of football squads. So it's difficult. Um, but yeah, one of Foden or De Bruyne would be my picks. Yeah, I think De Bruyne as well. I, I saw someone point out yesterday, he's really sort of coming up in big games this season. Um, obviously, scored the winner against Atletico and against Chelsea as well in a game where we were all watching, hoping City would uh, would stumble in that game. But same question to you, Chloe. Would it be De Bruyne for you or is it someone else? I know, for example, Riyad Mahrez has scored a, a ton of goals this season. I mean, anyone can pop up with a goal. Um, they're, they're incredible all over the park. Um, so, I mean, pinpoint players is a bit odd because, uh, I mean, Gundogan, we've not even mentioned him, and yeah, he's been immense pretty much all season, popping up with goals everywhere. I think uh, he surpassed someone the other day for, for most goals. Meza Ozil. There you go. They're Germans, yeah, most German um, goals. And I mean, you don't even think about him, do you? When you when you think of who's getting the goals for this city side, uh, quality wise, Kevin De Bruyne, you can put it on someone's head um, out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, the the things he sees is a bit like Trent Alexander Arnold. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but I mean, Phil Foden, one of the players that um, one of the the most upcoming quality players, one of England's best players. Um, and you know, 
it's it's not great seeing him play for the opposition. Never mind one that you're going to be in a title race with pretty much season after season. Um, but in in more Kevin's a brainer, but absolutely anyone can can unlock um, any team at any point with with the players that they've got on display. Yeah, I think this game is the the exhibition of of probably the two best playmakers in the league and and maybe Europe as well. Um, to be honest, you know, two outstanding players who've got a kind of all time great potential for sure. But we don't know. I guess the thing when I ask that question is, as Liverpool fans especially, we don't really know who we're going to be facing because <laughs> obviously Pep is is notorious for rotating aside, and I imagine. City fans <laughs> kind of find it difficult to predict as well. But Howard, is there a specific lineup that that you're expecting? And in, seeing as we're on team news, I was also wondering what the latest was there with Ruben Diaz. Uh, no, there's not a team. I don't think I've predicted the lineup right this season <laughs> once. So I think, like you, the back five is not back six is nailed on. Uh, Diaz is not going to be fit. Is uh, Pep said last week. It was a bit strange because he was, I thought he was back in training as the international break started. Yet once the international break finished, he said he's still two weeks away. So unless Pep's playing mind games, and he doesn't tend to do that, to be honest, because what's the point with central defender, you know, uh, we should be able to put two great defenders out anyway. Uh, I don't think we would DS play. So it's Edison, Walker, Stones, Laporte, Cancelo, Rodri in front of them, kind of picks itself. After that, uh, I'll just well, toss a coin, maybe. Uh, Phil Foden didn't start against Atletico Madrid, which surprised me and assisted, I think, within a minute of coming on, basically, and just changed the game completely. He has to start and Kevin De Bruyne will start. And you'd think Bernardo Silva will start because he's an absolute workhorse, which against Liverpool is absolutely essential. That still leaves two spots. And honestly... Pep could go left field and pick the least likely option of all with Jesus, because he I think he started at Anfield earlier in the season. And Grealish did as well. But they could both sit out and Mares could come in. I mean Mares didn't play last week because he was sad at the international defeat and not qualifying for the World Cup. But I think he'd start being the top scorer. Uh and I think Raheem Sterling's might be the choice. Not had a great history against in Liverpool games. But I'm not sure if what happened two, three years ago really matters anymore. I think he might be the one that comes in. But you just don't know. I mean, Gundogan could come in for his control. It's There's options in there. I mean, for both teams, there's so many options. It's a bit of a headache. Uh, Pep will see something tactically that I won't understand and choose for that reason, I guess. I mean, Grealish, what Grealish offers, is, you know, he's been criticised a lot, but he's done okay, Greeley. He's done fine, but he's not getting the goals and assists. But he offers you more control than Sterling, where Sterling's more likely to make something happen. So who knows, maybe for the control, for keeping the ball, Grealish might start. But when you look at the depth of both squads now, I think when you think who might change the game, it might just be someone who comes off the bench eventually. It could be anyone of 15 players on either side. So I just, I honestly just cannot even begin to predict what the front three will be in, in for City. So, and again, it might just be one of those where you use your squad over the 90 minutes. Yeah, I think obviously we've got that dilemma as well. And uh, mm. personally, I'd be hoping that he, he doesn't go with, 
with with Foden and Bernardo Silva, but um, I'm sure they will both play. Um, they should, yeah. I think um, obviously Silva played really well at Anfield and had. I think the, the standout memory is, is that run where he somehow kept the ball under challenge from about four different players. Um, so he's obviously someone who could who produce a big performance. But if he doesn't start, it will not go down well on the. Uh... Yeah. Timelines I think he, the, he yeah. saves he saves the overthinking for the Champions League. I think <laughs> for the most <laughs> yeah. Part. So yeah, I imagine he would. But just to quickly come back to uh, to Diaz, um, is that a big blow if he if he's not going to play, um, or is it something that he can cope with quite easily? I mean, he's obviously just been outstanding for us. But City have got the strongest central defensive you know squad basically in our history. So if Laporte and Stones have to start in, instead, then no, it shouldn't really be a problem if he's out for another week or so. Uh, that's fine. And, you know, Nathan Ake, who's forgotten about, has just been fine every time he'd come in. Though Ruben Diaz has been a leader and you'd love him in a game like this. It, it is a loss, but it's not a disastrous loss if we don't pick up any more injuries before Sunday's game. So, And he was a bit shaky before he picked up the injury as well. So... As players often are, you know, during long seasons, the form goes up and down a bit. So, not a huge loss, but I obviously would have preferred him to be fit and starting on Sunday. Yeah, and I think as Liverpool fans, we'll obviously be, be sceptical about, about what Pep's saying. But um, you're right, it is, it is a centre-back, so maybe there isn't the yeah. mind games <laughs> no. in, that, in that particular case. But how sort of confident to your feeling because I always get the sense with City fans that despite the success that you've had that you always you are kind of quite pessimistic but I mean if you if you look at the the records you know Liverpool haven't won at the Etihad in the Premier League um, since 2015 obviously there was a Champions League match which was a bit of a smash and grab on our part and um, we haven't won any of the last four meetings um, overall and like we mentioned earlier City were probably the better side in the reverse fixture. So with all that and, and having obviously the home advantage, which is something that the players have talked about as being potentially key in the title race, are you feeling what kind of optimism levels are you feeling ahead of this one? Yeah, I'm not. I'm one of the most pessimistic fans, or maybe just one of the most nervous fans in a way. When the day comes around, I'll absolutely hate it. To be honest, I'll be dreading it because I'm like that for all big games. Uh, you know, Derby Day, I hate. Uh, Happy never to play United again, which is ridiculous because it's never a better time to play United at the moment for both Liverpool and City. So I know the record is it surprises me sometimes, and certainly the negativity of a few years ago, especially for Anfield matches where I expected us to lose uh, because our record was just so poor. I I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic because it is essentially a game where anything can happen. I think home win, away win, draw, home win comfortably, away win comfortably. Any of those things could happen and wouldn't be that surprising. So I'll go into it with an open mind, basically. Uh, I think I'm going to be negative. I, I still have the, the, the failure of City to buy a striker last summer still rankles with me. I think the false nine system is City making do, basically. It's not a perfect system. Not a perfect system long-term, anyway, to be using week in, week out. And my fear, if if I have a negativity for Sunday's match, is that if both sides had three guilt-edge chances, Liverpool are more likely to take chances than City because we're relying on 
midfielders essentially to score goals. And we have been wasteful this season. Maybe Liverpool have been too, and I've not seen it because obviously I've not watched every minute. But it's a game where anything can happen, and I'll just be nervous rather than pessimistic. Pessimistic, I think, on the day. But City's recent record is good enough for me to go into it with optimism for sure. So, yeah, there's the kind of grounds to be optimistic, I suppose. And certainly, if the shoe was on the other foot and we were at home, I think we'd be feeling much better about it. And I think you're right that it is going to be a game where you know obviously the defenses are brilliant, but I think there is going to be quite a lot of chances created, and yet it could come down to the clinical finishing in a way, or maybe City creating a volume of chances where they kind of just end up scoring one eventually. But, Chloe, I wanted to bring you back in. Um, Howard's just mentioned there about how he's feeling coming into the game. I'll be honest, I'm kind of... I'm not dreading it, maybe, but I'm, I am really nervous for it, and it is only Wednesday when we're recording this. So, what's your kind of pre-match mood? Are you looking forward to it? Because, you know, of the magnitude of the game, is it one of them where you'd almost like putting it on? Because that would be pretty bold. Um, I refuse to think about it because it's going to make me ill, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I am, like, I don't know. I usually, um, I don't get nervous unless there's a reason to get nervous. And, like, like I remember Barca at home where we, we, we win 4-0 and we go through. wasn't nervous for that, but we didn't have anything to lose. Um, we were 3-0 down. We were the underdogs. Where now it feels very much like we're still the underdogs because we're away from him and we're behind the point. But I just feel like if City win this, they've won the league. Um, I think this is this is the most influential game, um, and it's kind of like a make or break, isn't it? So, um, first of all, I'm still in in Portugal, gonna enjoy the the, the last couple of days, um, then get home, and then I'll start to worry about it. But it will make me ill. I refuse to think about it this year um, because I know that on Sunday I am going to be the most nervous person. I hope the Reds are more calm than me uh, on Sunday because I swear to God, I feel like I could be sick um, thinking about the game because it just means so much, doesn't it? So um, right now, no, I know the magnitude of the game, but I refuse to think about the outcome or what the outcome could potentially mean. I'm glad you said that because that's kind of the boat I'm in. I think on Sunday I'm just going to wake up with a, a bit of a nasty feeling in my stomach, to be honest. Yeah. Don't worry, um, I will be as well. So. Yeah, I think everyone <laughs> everyone on both sides will be potentially. But I wanted to pick up on something Chloe said there, Howard, about she said if City win this game, they won the league. And obviously, you know, you might not want to be that kind of, that kind of brash and bold about it. But how confidently do you think we can say that the winner of this game will go on to win the league. And obviously there's the other outcome of it being a draw. And would you actually maybe take a draw? Um, given that I don't think we take a draw as Liverpool fans or a lot of us ones. But would you maybe take one and you know you retain your advantage? I think I would, yeah. Uh, I'm always cowardly when you have one of the last questions about this. I'll take a draw against United on Derby Day and we should be beating them every time. So... Uh, I think I will because of the one-point advantage. Though, of course, Liverpool have got the better goal difference and it will probably stay that way. You know, I can't see any games where City are going to hit six or seven against teams, but who knows? Uh, it's Honestly, it's not a title decider. <laughs> it's not. But if Liverpool were to win, 
I would, yeah, I'd make you clear favourites, obviously, for the league title. And I think you've got the mentality to go on and maintain that and maintain the advantage. And of course, you could afford a draw in there because of that goal difference advantage. So the two points kind of feels like three in a way or two and a half. City win four points. Obviously, it makes a strong, strong favourites for the title. But the the thing that uh, if it was just if only City City and Liverpool only had league games now for the rest of the season, I would say that the winner of this game should go on and win the title. But of course, there's so many other stuff. You might have two games against Bayern Munich to play. City, I would hope, <laughs> get through to the semi-final after play Chelsea or Real Madrid. There's that FA Cup semi-final that I think is becoming might become less and less important in a way compared to everything else going on by the time that comes around. And we've got rearranged fixtures. We've got one against Wolves. You've got you've got uh, United to play. I think you've got so many games, so many things could happen that I just cannot say that what that Sunday decides the title. But if one team does win, it's got to be clear that they are then strong on some favourites to go and win. Yeah, I think the thing for Liverpool fans is, and the players as well, if we do win the game, we've got to keep our feet on the ground. You know, you'd be four points ahead with easier fixtures. It feel would feel a lot bigger in that way. But we'd be two points ahead with more difficult fixtures. We've still got to play, obviously, United and United and Everton. And we know Liverpool are far better than both of those teams. Yeah. But they're derby games. Strange things happen in derby games. And both of those teams will obviously be desperate. Everton are fighting for their lives to stay in the Prem, you know, and United are potentially still trying to get forward. They've got their own motivations and the added motivation of potentially derailing Liverpool's title bid. Um, and I think the big one for us is um, is Tottenham because they look they look like maybe the third best team in the Premier League at the moment, the form that they're in. They've mm-hmm. obviously won, won at City. Um, Conte, one of the best managers in the world. Like that's going to be a, an almighty battle, even if we get through the United and Everton game. So they will feel like there's a lot more hurdles to clear for Liverpool if they do win. So you can see how City are, you know, in the in the stronger position coming into it. But you know, you mentioned the the FA Cup game as well, and uh, so there's going to be renewed rivalries there, and potentially, who knows, a Champions League final at the end of the season. Like there could be uh, loads more meetings as, as City go for the. Uh, the treble and Liverpool go for the quadruple and we'll see <laughs> what the share of trophies is like at the end of the season. But I have now got to come to the dreaded question um, <laughs> of predicting uh, the game. And you don't have to, <laughs> but um, I will I will ask you to um, come up with a, with a scoreline for me. Honestly, I think the narrative demands that both teams draw and that we're going to, the rest of the season is as uncertain and as close as it's been before. So, you know, I think you might start cagey, but surely there's goals in this game. I'm going to go for an entertaining 2 all draw. I could be yeah. bullshit and say City will win, but there's no such thing as a narrative, there's no such thing as fate, really. But I think a draw would just... It would just make the story even more fascinating going into the rest of the month about you know where these two teams could end up. So yeah, two all draw for me. I, I'd be stunned if a there wasn't goals and b <laughs> if it, if it wasn't a brilliant game. It's one of them where you almost wish briefly that you didn't support either those, those two teams, mm. and you could just watch it and enjoy because it, it's got potential, I think, to be an all-time great Premier League game. Um, given what's riding on it, and we saw obviously. 
Um, the last time there was a comparable fixture to this in the 18-19 season um, was probably one of the best Premier League games ever. Yeah. So it's a shame we can't enjoy it. Um, and ho- obviously, which, whichever team wins, will if there is a winner, it'll probably be a classic game for them. But um, yeah, in terms of my prediction, I think a draw is probably a good shout, to be honest. I think for Liverpool to win this game, they're going to have to produce maybe the best performance they've ever produced under Klopp. Um, which is almost exciting in a strange way. It's like the opportunity is there to do something that will be kind of remembered forever, really. But um, yeah, to go to to City and win, and when both teams are there's so little separating the two sides, um, yeah, it feels like a, a huge task to be honest. And hopefully, um, it's one that the the players can accomplish. Um, well, I just wonder if the if it, the two teams are drawing with fifteen minutes to go. Wonder what the attitude of the managers would be. They'd probably take it, wouldn't they? Because yeah, the yeah. consequences of conceding late on and losing the match, they'd probably say, "Let's just, you know, let's take it, shake hands, and fight another day." So I think so. And we've seen that kind of creep in in the past. I think Pep would certainly take it for Klopp. I think it would be down to how the game's actually going. So if Liverpool still look like they can win it, yeah, then he's still going to go for it. But if it's one of them where we're kind of hanging on to the point, then I think well, you know, we'll see that sort of James Milner change that he loves to make when he's trying <laughs> to shut a game down, for example. Um, but Chloe, I know you don't want to think about this game, so I, I apologise for asking you the question, but I do have to ask you for the predictions, seeing as me and Howard have both done one. I have a superstition about not doing these things, and I do them every week anyway on this, so... Um, you know what? Just, oh. uh, if, if there's a superstition involved there, I'm almost thinking... Don't make her do a prediction because yeah. I don't want to interfere with anything. I want to go like maximum sort of omens for this game, to be honest. So you can sort of tactically not predict for this one if you think it's going to give Liverpool even a 0.1% advantage. Um, <laughs> I predict a very intense game and potentially me vomiting with nerves. That is my <laughs> prediction. Well, that technically is a prediction. Yeah, it's not, not exactly a score, but certainly... Um, Something quite relatable, I think. But uh, yeah, that's going to pretty much wrap us up uh, for this episode. Howard, we usually give our guests um, an opportunity to plug plug their work and anything they want the listeners to look at. I think it might be a bit of a hard sell <laughs> in this particular case. <laughs> um, yeah, she would just not but, bother. But... <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you can say to um, convince Liverpool fans to listen to 9320? Um, well, the fact there's a Obviously, yeah, we have a subscription model for the podcast. Uh, we The Friday show is free every week, so you've got nothing to lose. Every Friday morning we put a show out, which maybe you won't want to this Friday listen to, not because we slag off Liverpool, but the nerves of the occasion. Uh, but we talk about all things besides not just previewing the match. So to check out the Friday show that's free every and see what you think. And... Yeah, uh, <laughs> it would be hard to, to to push our city podcast, but I mean, I listen to a wide range of football podcasts, and it's nice to get alternative views a lot of the time. So you know, you can check it out if you if you want. I think we we do lots of stuff. It's not just about city. We're especially during lockdowns, we're doing quizzes and all sort of things. And we did do a charity podcast a couple of months ago, and there's a lot of stuff on SoundCloud there, uh, which. I would heartily recommend yeah, interviews with ex-players and stuff like that. Uh, 
that you know Nedda Manua we had on as well and that he's just absolutely astonishing brilliant entertainment there so do check out our soundcloud stuff there i'm sure there's something for everything on there and yeah um, i'm sure there's plenty of content that uh, liverpool fans could get into but i'm sure plenty of stuff they won't be that interesting in either so <laughs> yeah well obviously um there is one sort of shared uh link and it's obviously both laughing at man united's misfortune this season so maybe that's a bit of an olive branch that can be extended and yeah, yeah. certainly um Nader Manua I think he's on five live quite a bit seems like a uh, a very very entertaining character good to listen to so that could be that could be something too but thanks very much uh, for coming on and I'll put the link to the podcast in the episode description mm-hmm. um in terms of us we're going to be back next week after the second leg of the Benfica game looking ahead again <laughs> to Man City um quick at the fixture schedule this time in the FA Cup in the meantime, please do give us a five-star rating on Spotify and a positive review on any other podcast platform you might use. And do remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well for clips of each episode, you know, shorter segments. Um, that'll be in the description too. But yeah, until then, take care. And Chloe and the rest of us, let's make sure we try not to throw up on Sunday. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>